Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody and happy Mother's Day. If you have not yet texted your mom, take this moment and and, and let her know that you know that it's Mother's Day and, and that you are absolutely so thankful for her. But, but we do want to take a little bit of time and honor the mamas in the house. So if you're a mom, could you stand to your feet and just stay standing for me? Come on now, all the moms in the house. Now, if you're a woman, why don't you, and you're, and you're not yet a mom, stand up. All the ladies, everybody standing. Nobody sit down. All the ladies. Okay. Something that we want to do is, you know, we live in a day and age where there are so many voices that are trying to define for us who we are. And and I don't think at times that we zero in on the right storyline that we've been given. And so what I want to do just for a couple of minutes is I want to speak on behalf of this family and behalf of, of this church, I want to speak some identity statements over you um, that, that I want to overtake some of the identity lies that have been also spoken over you. And so just, just receive this. I want you to know that we see you. I want you to know that we value you. I want you to know that we need you. We, we are not all that we can be without you. You are beautiful. You are enough. You're amazing. You're amazing at loving those in front of you. You're kind, you're patient, you're caring, you're strong, and you're a great leader. And we're a family, and brave women run in our family. That should cause an amen. I'm just saying, I'm still teaching y'all, but that'll, that's, an, that's, you know, that, that's an agreement point. You are creative. You have everything that you need to be all that God has called you to be. And we want you to know that we love you. And we're so very thankful for you. And we want to show you our appreciation with the loudest applause humanly possible. Thank you, ladies. Love it. Take your seats. Hey, we're, we have a little gift for not just our moms, but all the ladies in the house. Um, as you leave, uh, you'll have an opportunity to grab a little succulent um, that somehow we were able to keep alive, which is a miracle in and of itself. But, but we want that succulent to be a remembrance stone for you, that when you see it on your shelf or on your desk or wherever you put it, that 
when you see it, you would remember that brave women run in your family. And that courage and value and confidence would come on you. And, and, and let it be kind of that stop sign that when you find yourself maybe chasing after a storyline that's been given to you, you see that simple little succulent. And it's not just a cactus without prickly things, but, it, but it's a remembrance stone that you're brave, that you're a leader, that you're valued, your voice is needed. Uh, and, and at least here in this house, uh, we, we wouldn't and couldn't and shouldn't do anything without you. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, now, I, I want to be very upfront and candid with you this morning. You know, Mother's Day can be a bit tricky if you're a preacher. Um, because not all of us are moms. And um, some of us want to be moms, and uh, some of us have some painful stories when it comes to mom. And so this day of celebrating moms is, is not as simple as Hallmark would like us to believe. It's complicated. And so if you would this morning, I don't simply want to speak to moms. I kind of want to speak to everybody. Is that Okay. Uh, but since it is Mother's Day, I, I wanted to start with a question to my moms, okay? Uh, and, and, and the question is this, have you ever felt the tension between the mom that you want to be and the mom that you feel like you are? You familiar with this tension? Right, now I have to be honest, as a father... I don't think that it's fair uh, because I, as a dad, don't have entire Pinterest boards and <laughs> Facebook groups and Instagram accounts that revolve around making me feel like a failure as a dad. Actually, the opposite is true. There's, there's people that say that dad bods are okay bods, right? Like the bar is like low for dads, but it seems like what you want to, like you try to find something out about a mom, it's like these pictures of this mother and her four children gardening at their little Vermont cottage. They left their jobs in the city and now they have a blog and they garden and everyone is color coordinated and clean and they have shoes on it's a lie it's a lie it, look I saw I saw a picture this is true I saw a picture of a lunchbox okay and this lunchbox the sandwich was wrapped in butcher paper Okay, and, and it had red and white string tied on it like four ways and a bow on the top and like a little note that was like perfectly placed. It said, you are special. And then like a $30 juice box, you know, <laughs> they're like no one can afford at Whole Foods, but they, you know, you feel bad that you give your kid a Capri Sun. You're like, I'm sorry, I'm a pastor. Okay, and, and it's like this massive apple, you know, this like the, the and, and you look at it and, and you think. That is not what the lunch boxes look like at my house. Like we are just winning if every child has a sandwich in their lunch box. 
Okay, like that, that's a W. I mean, I'm going to start a, a, a Instagram account that tells the truth. Okay, and it's going to be a picture of what craft time actually looks like. Like a nuclear bomb went off in your living room. You got glitter places you didn't even know glitter could go. And, 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 and we, we've got, you know, pictures of people going to school and the mom is wearing no shoes because she spent all of her time trying to find her kid's shoes. Okay, that's real life. Okay, can I get at least one follower on that? Inst- all right. But, but isn't it kind of interesting that we can find ourselves feeling so insecure about things that we feel like we should be able to do. I think insecurity actually breeds violently in the environment of false expectation of reality. And and, and what, what ends up happening is when we have these things that we think that we should know, then, then the, the sense that you're not measuring up to that breeds this, this failure complex inside of us. And, and it doesn't matter what it is that we actually are doing. We can't see it. You know, I, rem- I remember actually at my wedding, my rehearsal dinner for my wedding, I, I hadn't been involved in many weddings before my own. I, I was one of the first dudes in our little friendship group to get married. And so I don't know why I was caught off surprised by this, but I was totally caught off guard by this. It's the guy that was officiating our wedding is Jimmy Seibert, who I still have the pleasure of calling my pastor. And he's the overseer of the Antioch movement. And, and he looks at me at the beginning of the rehearsal dinner and he says, J.D., would you introduce everybody, your family and your groomsmen? Simple. I mean, I've known, I've known these people, you know, my whole life. These are the closest human beings to me. That's why they're in my wedding. And, and so I should know it. I, I should know their names. <laughs> and, and I look right at one of my friends who I have known since I was a child. And I'm like, okay, Jimmy. This is, am I lying? It was so awkward. His name didn't come to me until everyone started laughing. And then I'm like, oh, that's Phil. That's Phil. I love you, Phil. I still love you, Phil. I actually texted him this morning and apologized again. Like, why, do, why would we, when we should know something, when you hit a moment, when you realize that you don't know it, that pain is unique. Like that, that insecure, the insecurity that jumped on me in that moment actually haunts me to this day. Like I, I panic when I see somebody and I know that I'm supposed to know their name. I, I panic because, because there's nothing like the insecurity that jumps on us when we encounter things that we think that we should know. Like, it, it, it's a unique kind of pain, and our culture doesn't help us because if you're anything like me, I don't lay in bed at night and dwell about how amazing I did that day. Like, that's normally not the thought. Like, I'm not laying 
on my pillow going, crushed it, Griffin. <laughs> no, like we obsess about those one or two comments that we wish we could have had back, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing kind of reveals this, this unique intensity of insecurity like parenting does, if I'm being honest with you. Like, yeah. parenting like has a way of making you feel like you blew it all the time. And because you think that you should know what to do, right? But you have no idea. And I, look, I'm, almost, I'm getting up there. I'm about to be 40. I remember how I looked at my dad when I was 40. I called him the other day. I'm like, Dad, you were faking it, weren't you? Because I thought you had it all together. I thought you knew everything. I thought you had all the answers. Now I'm about to be there. I got nothing. My kids don't know I'm making it up as I go. And, 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 but but, the, but this, this insecure feeling, it, this failure complex, this, this way that our, our minds drift to what we did wrong versus what we did right. The way that our our conversation that we have with ourselves is clouded with the, the one or two comments that we wish we could have had back, that response to our kid that we wish we never would have done, that attitude that we threw at work that we're embarrassed that we did. Like that, that's what we dwell on. And, and, there, and we don't just love our, to obsess about our failure. We love to obsess on other people's failure. And so you can spend your entire day read, reading about how people have blown it and never run out of material. But, but I'm here to tell you that this obsession with what we are not has a consequence to it. There's a consequence. And, and, and it colors the reflection of how we see ourselves. It, it shapes how we view what we see in the mirror. There, there's these lies that attach themselves to our minds and our hearts and wounding of things that have happened to us, and those things color how we even perceive the reflection that we see in the mirror. Nothing illustrates this more clearly than the devastating sickness of eating disorders. Unfortunately, as a pastor, I have a front row seat often to this horrific battle in so many lives. But the thing that, that, that comes to sometimes be the hardest part of the restoration journey for someone who's dealing with an eating disorder, is beginning to understand that their interpretation of the reflection that they see in the mirror is not accurate. That their sickness is coloring the image. So their mind is telling them that their body looks a certain way, even though their eyes are seeing a reflection that are contrary to what their mind is telling them that they're seeing. And our mind is stronger than our eyes. So we will begin to see what we want to see. Let me say that again. Our mind is stronger than our eyes. And we will begin to see what we want to see. 
And, and so Paul says something very interesting and unique to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Can I read this sentence to you one more time? And, and, and as I read it, I want you to find there's a unique progression in this truth here. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. It's a different version. I'm going to go back with mine. I like mine better. <laughs> with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So, so right now, we reflect the glory of God. Like, like that's happening right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what happens at salvation. At salvation, we talk about this all the time here at Antioch. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, there's a separation of who we were and who we now are. The old is gone and the new has come. We're free from the consequences of the sin in our lives. And that allows us to have access to God and to live with the perspective of heaven here on earth. And we all reflect what we behold. And so why we begin to reflect the glory of God after salvation is because we're no longer separated from his presence because of our sin. So there's not a separation of the glory and majesty of God and where we find ourselves as a fallen human because Jesus closed that gap, paid that debt. And so we are now able to behold with an unveiled face the glory of God and we then reflect what we behold. But notice that, that Paul says that right now, we reflect the glory of God, not some of it, all of it, not part of it, every aspect of it. But he goes on to say, but we reflect him, but we're being transformed to be more like him. So, so the question is like, how can we reflect him and be transformed more into the image of him? Like, like what's the difference in reflection and the transformation of the image that we're reflecting. Like if right now we're reflecting all of the glory of God, then why is it that Paul would progress in this truth and say that we're being transformed into his image? I think part of the answer is actually found in Romans 12 too. It says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind. So, so, so the, the lies that we believe and the wounds that we receive color the reflection that we see. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We reflect the glory of God, but the transformation of becoming more in the image of God is having to do with what we believe about what we see. 
Like our mind has to be renewed. Our mind has to be washed clean, right? Reflection speaks to access. Transformation speaks to restoration. That, that we have access through salvation to the throne room of grace and we reflect what we behold. We can be in there because Jesus made a way for us to get in there. But as we're in there, there's still lies and wounds and hurts and things that are coloring what we see when we see the reflection of ourself. And therefore, we're being transformed. Our mind is being renewed so that we can actually see the image that he sees. Can we go a little deeper on this? If you have a Bible, I want you to go with me to Exodus 30. If, if you've been coming, you know I love the Old Testament. I love to find Jesus in the Old Testament because he's all over it. And, and Exodus 30, verse 17, says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin, and with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And Aaron and his sons, who are the priests, are to wash their hands and feet from the, with the water from it. Now, this bronze basin that's spoken of here is the laver. Can we put up that picture of the tabernacle? Because I want you to see that the, 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 labor, the laver was made of bronze, but it was placed in a specific place, and that place was not on accident, right? Because when you walked into the tabernacle, which was God's place of dwelling amongst the people, when you walked in, the first thing that you encountered was the altar. When, when you walked in the tabernacle, you encountered the altar. The altar was a place where forgiveness happened. The, the, the altar was where you, you would bring a lamb or a bird or, or whatever animal that was justified based on the sins that you had committed and you would offer it up as a sacrifice and, and the priest would take that lamb and he would lay his hands on the lamb and he would confess the sin of the people on that lamb and then that lamb would be placed on that altar and its throat would be slit and blood would begin to pour out of that lamb because listen to me forgiveness is a bloody business forgiveness is a bloody business like for there to be forgiveness of sin someone had to pay the consequence of that sin which the Bible says the consequence of sin is death. And so death had to be paid. And so the priest would, 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 would slit the throat of the lamb and blood would pour into the altar, into the basin underneath the altar. And it would get all over the priest. His hands would be bloody. His feet would be bloody because forgiveness is a bloody business. The altar was bloody. It was a bloody place. It's a place of judgment, but it's also a place of grace. The, the altar was where there was a collision of what sin caused and what God allowed us to experience 
the, the altar was where the exchange happens. It's sometimes we call the beautiful exchange where what I deserved was actually put onto a pure animal that had nothing wrong with it, no fault in it. And the consequence of my behavior was paid on this perfect sacrifice and it bled all over the altar and all over the priest. And that flow of blood was actually the flow of my forgiveness. But then you come to the laver. The laver was a basin made of bronze. It was to be filled with water. The laver is a washing place. The, the altar is a place of forgiveness. The tent of meeting is a place of encounter. The, the tent of meeting is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was where the presence of God would dwell. It was the manifest presence of God on earth. You didn't just walk into the tent of meeting. You, you couldn't skip the laver. It says in, in Exodus 30, 18, that if the priest were to skip the laver and walk from the altar into the tent of meeting, they would die. It's not because God has some issues with dirty hands and dirty feet. God does not have a dirt problem. God does not have OCD and can't stand dirt on his rugs. No, the labor was on purpose. You see, I think we understand the altar. We get that God gives us access through Jesus to experience forgiveness of our sin because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, was put on a cross and paid the penalty of my sin so that I could encounter the grace of God and be forgiven, made clean, whole, and restored. We get the altar, but I think we skip the laver. Because the laver was where the priest would go and he would have to wash the blood of the sacrifice off of his hands. You see, the, the altar was for forgiveness, but the labor was for cleansing. I, I think sometimes we walk around understanding that we're forgiven, but we didn't stop at the labor. And so we don't connect to the fact that our God does not just forgive our sins, but he heals our wounds. That he cleanses us. He, he restores us. He heals he makes new. What's amazing about the labor is that it was filled with water. Water was a reflective liquid, right? You look into water, you see yourself. Isn't it amazing that the priest would go through this act in the physical that was revealing to them, not just practically, but even to their eyes, that, that the labor was where you actually see your reflection being mixed with the color of forgiveness. The labor was placed between the altar and the tent of meeting, but the labor was made of bronze. 
made of bronze. It's interesting because they were slaves before God gave them the instructions to build this tabernacle. Where would they get bronze? Where, they, they didn't have, they were slaves. They didn't have anything. Like, where would they find the bronze that would be needed to make the labor? And if you read to Exodus 38, Verse 8, it says that they made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, what's important for us to note is that a mirror then is not a mirror now. A mirror then was a highly polished piece of metal. And so they would take bronze and they would polish it so much that when you looked into it, you saw a reflection of yourself. And when we look not just to the placement of the labor, but the instruction of the construction of the labor, you begin to see that the bronze mirrors that the women had would have been tainted with memories of their past. But where did they get these bronze mirrors? They grabbed them as they were fleeing Egypt. It's called looting. They grabbed everything of value that they could get their hands on. They piled it into their pockets and onto the backs of their children. And they head out and the women now had these bronze mirrors that they would use to see themselves. But they did not just see themselves. When they saw that bronze mirror, their reflection was colored with painful memories of captivity. Every time they grabbed that bronze mirror, they remembered what it was like to be in slavery. Every time they grabbed that bronze mirror, their reflection was colored with the pain of what was spoken over them as they had spent years and years and years as a slave. That reflection would have been layered with some past pain. Because our, our, the lies that we believe and the wounds that we've received will color the reflection that we see. Are you tracking with what I'm trying to say? The, the, the labor, God was saying, I want you to construct the labor by giving me how you used to see yourself. Wow. Take the mirrors that you used to use to see yourself and I want to repurpose them. Oh, I'm, t- I'm preaching this morning. I'm going to repurchase, I'm going to repurpose them and I'm going to make them into a place of cleansing, into a place of washing and into a place where reflection is mixed with the blood of forgiveness and no longer when you look at this bronze mirror will the reflection be tainted with the lies and the wounds of your past because you're coming to the, don't skip the labor. Hey, don't skip. I think we run past the labor. I think think we, we understand we're forgiven of our sin, but man, we carry around the grime of it. We've got the blood of the cross stained into our fingers, and Jesus is like, you skip the labor. 
The cross forgave you of your sin. But don't stop at the altar. Because after the altar is cleansing and healing, and after cleansing and healing, there's encounter. You see, the progression of the tabernacle is this is Jesus. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You want to know what that word dwelt also means? Tabernacle. The, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is the altar. Jesus is the laver. And, and Jesus is our place of encounter. And, and when we don't allow Jesus to not just forgive us, but to also heal us, we're not progressing through all he has for us. I think oftentimes when we feel stuck in life, it's because we've skipped the labor. We're, we're looping over things that we've been forgiven from, that we've been cleansed from. We're a new creation, but I'm walking around and I didn't go to the labor and wash off all the lies and the wounds and the hurt and the accusation. And so I'm still living forgiven, but I'm still covered in the weight of who I used to be. Don't skip the labor. Our reflection should not be tainted with the weight of our past. We should reflect the glory of God and be transformed by the renewing of our mind into His image. We are becoming more like Jesus when we allow Him to wash our minds of the lies that we've believed and allowed to shape and taint and distort how we even see ourselves. Look, the, the, the altar is for forgiveness. The labor is for our cleansing. It's for our healing. And you want to know what healing looks like? Healing looks like if you are an angry person, now you are healed and restored and you're not. Okay? I think sometimes we overcomplicate freedom because we're in a, in a rhythm of understanding forgiveness, but we forget that we're also supposed to be healed, cleansed, and then we're never supposed to go back. If you deal with anger, come to the labor. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm an angry person. Come to that basin. And look at yourself with the blood and water mixed together and get that, that old self washed off of your hands and off of your feet and say, I'm not angry anymore. I reflect the glory of God. I'm being transformed into his image. Healing is I was angry and now I'm not. Healing is, some of us have had such a painful story when it comes to our moms that, that we can't even believe that we would have a day that we would celebrate moms. Healing is that you can come to Mother's Day and be thankful. Stop carrying around the baggage of the wounds and the lies that people have given to you. It's not worth it. Wash your bitterness off at the laver. Look, it's not worth it to be petty. Can I just be honest here at church? It's not worth it to be petty. Life is too short to be petty. 
Last time I looked into the face of Jesus, he wasn't petty. So if I'm, if I'm projecting pettiness, then I have a misunderstanding of my reflection of his glory based on the lies and the wounds that are distorting the image that I see when I look into the mirror. The issue is not what has happened to you. The issue is what Jesus did for you. Look, look. Forgiveness and forgiving those who have wronged us is not some blanket statement that you just say at church that makes you okay. Forgiveness is a process of agreeing with what happened to you is horrific and horrible. And it's absolutely the worst case scenario. But in the middle of it, Jesus made a way for you. And therefore, if Jesus made a way for you, you forgiving the person is not minimizing what happened to you. It's freeing you from what happened to you. When we come to the labor and and we we let the the lies that have been spoken over us fall off of us, all of a sudden we find ourselves beginning to understand the given reflection that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians. When he says we reflect the glory of God and we're being transformed into more of an image of him, What he's talking about is very simply that he has called us not just to encounter the cross. He's called us to be then healed from the wounds of our past so that who we were does not look like who we are. If there is a resemblance of your old self, wash it off at the laver. If you're dealing with insecurity, wash it off at the laver. If you're dealing with bitterness, wash it off. At the labor, if you've got just this traumatic experience that has tainted your life and and it is horrific what's happened to you, stop carrying it around. Wash it off at the labor. Wash it off. Get healed from it. Psalm 147, verse 3, speaking of God, says that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Our God is a forgiver and our God is a healer. And when we allow Jesus to not just forgive us, but we give him access to our hearts to heal us, that's when we start getting transformed. I think sometimes we think about transformation through this lens of like, I have to stop doing this behavior and start doing this behavior. But transformation is is that the motive that is leading to the behavior has changed. Look, you can stop a behavior for a season with willpower. That's not freedom. That's just mental self-strength. Freedom is allowing Jesus to heal our hearts, to wash us clean, so that we can begin to see ourselves the way that he sees us. Can I I say very boldly that I think that the biggest hindrance to the dreams of God living and breathing in your life is how you see your life. 
We look in the mirror and see failure. We look in the mirror and we see loser. We look in the mirror and we see dirty. We look in the mirror and we see passed over. We look in the mirror and we see abused. And Jesus is saying, I have created you to become more like my image so that when you look in the mirror, the lies that were spoken over you in your past, the wounds that you were encountered in your past are no longer coloring the reflection that you see when you see yourself in the mirror. But you are free, you are whole, you are forgiven, and you are washed in the labor. You are pure so that your encounter is not just a moment, but it lasts a lifetime. I want to end uh, or begin the end with a video. And this video shows so clearly how we can allow the lies that we believe and the effect of the wounds that we've all received to shape how we even see what is happening through our lives and how sometimes what we see in the mirror is a bit different than who other people see when they look at us in our face. Let's take a look. I'm a perfectionist, and so that's hard with kids. There's definitely days when I have my doubts about my abilities. I struggle with my temper. I struggle with like how I react with situations. I wish I knew how to, I guess, just calm myself before speaking to them. I wish I was better at taking time to sit down and just listen more to my child. I wish I was more confident in being a mom. I'm not the most patient person in the world. Patience. Patience is far and away probably the biggest struggle. I just want them to know just how much I love them. to snuggle with pretty funny she does cook a lot of food for me she's just unique that's why i love her so much we go on dates together like we go shopping she loves me a lot i have a lot of favorite things about my mom we like to watch movies together and color and stuff we go to church together, we volunteer together. She is like my heart, I guess you could say, because she's that close to me. My favorite thing is to jump on a trampoline with my mom. That's my most favorite thing to go up high. We like get ice cream or something, and like you go to the nail salon and have fun. <laughs> my mommy's my hero. She's pretty and beautiful. She is my hero. She just will care about me and just always love me forever. She's the best. 
That's so awesome. <laughs> I always seem to focus mostly on the negative, and I guess I can walk out of here and say that I'm doing something great and that my child is viewing me in totally different lenses as I view myself. So that's, that's inspiring. This is my calling. This is my job. This is what I love to do, and I will do it better and with love each and every day because those kids count on me and they love me for what I'm doing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it just makes it so clear, right, that sometimes what we know about ourselves can taint what we see. That there's there's some lies and pain and, and hurt that's mixed into the reflection. And so when we're asked about how we're doing, we, we see how our reflection is tainted by the hurt and pain and, and dysfunction and shortcomings. But there's so much more to our reflection than that. I think those kids do an incredible job of helping us see how Jesus actually sees us. See, he looks past all of that distortion and what he sees, he created. And when he created you, he, he said it was good. And so if you're looking at yourself and there's an area in your life, in your heart, in your, in your mind that is not healed, and how you know if it's healed or not is it, it, you, it doesn't take much for you to go back there and you know what color shirt you were wearing and you remember the color of the couch and the candle that was burning. If you got that level of detail to your pain, you're not healed. You need to come to the labor. And what we want to do this morning is very simple. Like we, we just want to create space to come to Jesus who is our tabernacle. He is our sacrifice. He is our labor. He is our place of encounter. And come to him and say, Jesus, would you come and would you begin to heal my mind? Would you wash me in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the grime and the lies and the deception that has stuck itself onto me that's clouding, that's distorting my reflection would be replaced with the mixture of blood and water as I look into the reflection of the laver. And, and we're just going to sing. We're, 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 we'll have people come and pray, but we just want to open this floor up and look. Don't, don't let fear, don't let just what people are going to think about you keep you from leaving this place carrying the same level of pain that you had when you walked into this place because this altar is a holy place and this Mother's Day can someday be a, a, a day of pain a day of disappointment, it can be a day of rejoicing, but look in this house today's a day of healing and, and if you need healing then, then come, you need to come to the altar and allow the, the God who heals us and binds up the hurt that is in us and transforms us so that we can begin to see how he sees us.
to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, the band's just going to start praying. If you need healing of anything, I want you just to come and make your way up to the front. Our leaders will get to you. Don't worry about it. But just stay up here until somebody prays for you. Because God is here to heal you of your past. He's forgiven you of your sin. But he's also made a way for you to be cleansed. To be made Jesus, we're asking that you would come this morning, that you would fall upon us with power and grace and life, and that right now, God, that you would begin to heal us, Father, that 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 healing stream that flows from heaven, that stream that makes glad our hearts from the city of God will begin to fall on us, God, wash over us and cleanse us, God, of our sin and cleanse us of the pain and the lies and the hurt and the trauma, God, and I pray that we would leave those things at the altar, we'd leave them at the labor, and we would not walk out of here, God, with the weight of the grime and the junk and the lies and the wounds that we have encountered in life, but we would walk out of here free, transformed with a renewed mind so that we can see how you see us and we can be confident that our reflection is the glory of God. In Jesus' name, everybody says.